As I share with you today, this is uh, part nine of this series of messages that I've been preaching about letters to the Thessalonians. And so this is the final message as we come to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And I want you to know that the title of this message is called Useful Christian Living because it's talking about useful Christian living. (laughs) It's pretty plain, pretty ordinary. Uh, The idea is that Paul wrote a lot of practical things that the church needed to take note of and to take some action on. And so I'm going to be speaking about that today. But before I dig into the scripture verses, let me tell you about, um, okay, something happened to my slides again. Okay, Curtis, you're going to have to flip them for me, sir. So if you could flip to that next slide where all the pictures are. Perfect. This little bird is a small Arctic bird called the guillemot, and uh, it lives in some rocky cliffs in the northern coastal region. So sometimes up in you know, Scotland and some parts of Newfoundland, and there's all of these, these birds. Uh, I know that they kind of look like a penguin. It's not a penguin. The interesting thing about these birds is that they live on the cliffs. Like they gather in these hundreds and hundreds of birds together on these cliffs. And then they lay their eggs on the edge of the cliff, on the ledges. Now, I know scientists have done some study about the shape of these eggs and why don't they roll off the cliff. It's kind of interesting. However, the the interesting part that when I was reading about it was that if an egg gets moved, even though there's hundreds of eggs and hundreds of birds, if an egg gets moved, the mother knows exactly which egg it is that's hers. And she will go and find it and put it back in the exact spot that she put it there so that that, bird would, that baby bird would hatch. She knows exactly where it is and what the timing of it all is and, and how it needs to be cared for. And she makes sure that even though there's hundreds and hundreds of eggs, that that one is exactly where it's supposed to be. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, God has created such incredible design, incredible structure and intention within nature, and he does so often as a reflection of himself. That God knows each of his own children. God knows you. God knows what you're about, what the things that you like. He knows what you're supposed to be doing. He knows how to encourage your development and growth in spiritual life. He knows what you need, and he knows when you need it. How to bring things into your life to help you to grow the circumstances that you need that will help you develop, but also the things that you can handle. Because we all go through different struggles and trials in life, and he knows exactly how much you can take. We can trust God to help us in our regular routine of life. And I know that there are some times that people separate their spiritual life from everything else. And sometimes they even segregate the things that happen at work from the things that happen at home to what happens at school or what happens with their friends, and they kind of divide it all up. I'm telling you, God knows it all. And He wants to be a part of all of it. And that is what Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church really about. 
saying that they need to know that God is a part of their regular routine. And he's asking them for some spiritual life practices in their daily routine. And I believe this really refers to what it means to have useful Christian living. The practical parts, the daily routine parts. And so I want you to pay attention as I read these 10 verses from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. Pray that the Lord's message will rapidly spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes, just as when it came to you. Pray, too, that we will be rescued from wicked and evil people, for not everyone is a believer. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one, and we are confident in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we commanded you. May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition they received from us. For you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle while we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so we would not be a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command, those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Now, those are some interesting words, and I'm going to explain a number of those things and what Paul was talking about, but I want you to know that Christian living, if it should be anything, it should be practical. It should matter on a day-to-day basis, the things that we're doing in our practical routines. Now, theological discussions are important. They're important, but if they don't lead a person to engage more closely with God, if they don't lead a person Uh, to integrate what they have learned and discussed into their daily life, then what good is it? What benefit has a, a, a very lofty and educational discussion had if it doesn't become some practical application? And so when Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica, he was saying, you need to do these things. These things are important. We need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, how God is directing and leading, and we need to pay attention to those things. So this is the main point of my message today. Following Christ is a daily commitment to doing the useful things that encourage spiritual engagement between your regular routine and the Spirit of God. Now the Spirit of God wants to cooperate with you, wants you to cooperate with Him on the regular routines, there's an engagement that happens as we have the Holy Spirit involved in our life. And we need to pay attention to that. You know, in the United Kingdom, there is both a queen and a prime minister. And both of those people, the positions that they hold, represent a head of government. Now, the queen, of course, is seen as a figurehead of the commonwealth and is really about a uniting factor towards national pride more than anything else. The prime minister, on the other hand, is the head of the government, which makes 
and enforces the laws of the land. Now, there are a lot of people that have uh, had discussions about whether they should abolish the monarchy and whether they should get rid of the whole royal family and all of the rest of it and just in favor of elected officials. And part of the reason that this discussion goes on is that very thing about, well, the prime minister and his government do the practical things. The government of the, the royal family and the, the figurehead of it all seems to be this lofty ideal. I don't know what the people of England will do in the future and whether it will have much effect on us here in Canada or not. However, I tell you this. While you could argue for one side of the discussion or other, what would be very effective is both a monarch that cooperates with the government to make and enforce a law that is not only unifying, but helpful on a practical level. And I say this because that's the kind of leader that Jesus is. That's the kind of leader that he will be when he returns. That he is both king of kings and needs the honor and the glory for that position that he holds as Lord of the universe, but he's also Lord of lords because he is the practical guide to how we live and the structure and the things that we do. And so we need to honor him in that way. Jesus is a part of all of our life. And so when he sent his Holy Spirit to his followers to help them, he wanted them to be faithful, not just to the idea of who God was, not just to an ideal of a deity on a throne. But he sent the Holy Spirit so that we would be engaged on a practical level every day. That Jesus coming to earth the king being made flesh is both very lofty and very practical. And we need to pay attention to him. So Paul gives the Thessalonians some tips on staying useful in their Christian life. And so some of these useful tasks I'm going to talk about now. The first one being this, prayer. Now we all know this. We talk about prayer from, yeah, I mean, almost, well, we practice it, but we talk about it regularly within our services, teaching, discipleship. We want people to pray. And Paul writes to the church, and he says, I want you to pray for me. As a, as a missionary worker, as somebody that was an apostle that was traveling and planting churches and spreading the gospel, he said, I need you, church in Thessalonica, I need you to pray for me. Now, they may never have thought about it in terms like Paul wrote it. Remember, this is a church that was going through persecution. They had difficulties in their city. They were going through struggles. And yet, Paul says, you need to pray for me. You people that are dealing with those problems, you need to come and you need to intercede on behalf of the things that are happening outside of your city. Because prayer makes a difference in this world because God makes a difference in this world. And it, he is concerned for far more than just our little bubble, the things that we have going on in our own life. God is concerned about the things that are happening right now in Ukraine, in the conflict with Russia, the war that's going on. 
God is concerned about the things that are happening in Africa, the struggles that some of those people have. God is concerned about the financial situation in the world and the way the supply chain has been disrupted. And so we see that many items that we have taken for granted in the past, they don't have on the shelf anymore because they can't get it across the ocean. God sees all of that. So the Holy Spirit wants us to pray for others. Others that we partner with, those that, we, uh, that are serving the Lord in other places. Now, this applies directly to us because we have a lot of missions partners. Right? If you look out on the missions board there and you, you see the map and you see the different places, the people that are serving, we try and convey to you what they're doing and how they're doing. But the truth is there's a lot to pray for. On that table back there, there's a, there's a little... Uh, paper that you can stick on your fridge the pictures of the people and the places that they're serving as well as the child care plus kids that we support and we put that out there so that you can pray for them it's nice to have pictures on the wall and newsletters that we can post but the reality is that the, the purpose is a very practical one we want you to pray for those that are outside of our own city. We want you to pray for the city, but those missionaries that are you know, down in Costa Rica, people that are in Africa and in Guinea, though there are important things that are going on there. The missionary that we have in Japan, the, things that, the way that she is reaching out, the one in Honduras that's teaching those girls, like all of that is important. And it's great that we can send financial support but there are times when the financial support is actually not the thing that's needed most. And what is needed is the encouragement in the Spirit of God that they would receive because people are interceding. And so don't forget to pray. Don't forget to pray for those that are outside of our own life here in Victoria, but who are active and whom we have partnership with. The second useful task that Paul writes to the church about is about receiving direction. And he literally says in verse 5 in this uh, third chapter, he said, may the Lord lead your hearts. May the Lord lead your hearts. In some translations it says, may the Lord give you direction. And then he talks about how he's asking God to give them direction concerning endurance, remembering the things that they're going through, that they would have a very active, living expression of God's love, and that these things are all important. And considering that they were going through persecution, you know, these characteristics of daily living, expressing God's love, and uh, being people that will hold on and be in enduring, very important. And so he's praying the direction of God into their life. He's saying, this is what I'm hoping for you. May you be led by the Spirit. May you be led by the Lord. And I think that that's important for us. You know, we need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. 
And for each person in the different circumstance, it's going to be important that they understand and that they uh, listen to what God is saying to them and how the direction that God wants to lead you in, in your particular circumstances, the people that he wants you to touch in your life. You know, how many road trips have been taken, families getting lost in the middle of nowhere while on vacation due to the fact that whoever happens to be the driver, usually, you know, the man, not asking for directions. Isn't that true? Right? Now, I know that we all have GPS on our phone and we have ways of getting directions. I can remember the terror of unfolding those maps and being able to try and figure out where I was and where I was going. <clears throat> I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. But the truth is, somebody still has to enter into the GPS, the coordinates, the address, whatever, where you're going. You need to seek and use the tools that you have. And so if we have the, the technology and the ability and even just the willingness to go and ask for directions, you know, shouldn't we do so? Cindy and I watched The Amazing Race uh, this past, uh, it, you know, over the winter and spring kind of thing. And there were so many times when they got lost. They weren't sure where to go or where to find the landmark that they were looking for. And they would stop somebody on the street, no matter what country they were in, trying to get through their English and, and language barriers, saying, do you know where this is? How do I get to this place? They had to ask for directions if they were going to get to where they were going. You know, if we fail to ask the Holy Spirit for our life direction, then we're set up for mistake. We're set up for the mistakes of the sin cycle that happened. And if you read through the Old Testament, you see what happened to the people of Israel, right? They would go through a time when they would sin, and then God would send judgment, and then they would repent, and they would ask for forgiveness, and then they would be forgiven, and then there would be a deliverer that would come and help them and get, get rid of their enemies, and then they would experience God's prosperity again until they forgot about him, and then they would sin again. You don't have to go through the cycle if you're just asking the Holy Spirit for direction. God, what do you want me to do? God, how can I grow in learning about the things of you. When we listen to the Holy Spirit, we avoid that sin cycle. The third task I wanted to talk about today, of course, is the one that Paul spent quite a bit of time in chapter 3 about. This useful task of work. <laughs> There's a, a lot in chapter 3 here that Paul talks about work. He says some pretty pointed things about idleness, and he says, if you don't work, you don't eat. Now, that, that's a relevant teaching and uh, should inspire a few people, more than a few, all of us, in order to be willing to work, be active in work, involved in a work life. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit wants to be involved in your work life. The place of your employment, when you enter into that space, or you go online and talk to other employees, or if you're volunteering at a place, you take the Holy Spirit with you. Hallelujah for that. I mean, really, 
Some of these places, the Holy Spirit needs to be there because there's nothing else that's godly about the business that's going on. But you're there, and you bring the Holy Spirit with you. And He wants to be involved in the people you work with, the community that you have there in your workplace. Now, some of you may be saying, well, why did... Why is Paul writing about this? And there's a couple different reasons that he's writing to the people in Thessalonica about this. Now, first of all, I want to remind you that they were being persecuted. Now, I have no idea if you have ever been persecuted for your faith in the workplace. But it can be extremely discouraging for people. You know, if they're either threatened with losing their job because they're a Christian, or they, uh, there are people that have been oppressed in a way that you know more work than is maybe reasonable is dumped on them because they're a Christian. You have to understand in Thessalonica, they were experiencing these kinds of things. That their work was affected by the persecution that was going on to those people that were in the church. Now, it is possible, although Paul doesn't say it directly, but it is possible that people got discouraged and just gave up. Said, I can't do this anymore. You know, what benefit is it to me if they're going to fire me or if they're not going to pay me or if they're uh, causing life to be so difficult? Why even bother? I just won't go to work. Maybe you've had people in your life that have given up on work. And unfortunately, they become dependent on others for what they're going to eat or how their rent is paid. Some people go through a depression where they... They just have given up so much of life that they, they really can't work. In many ways, they need to be healed in order to be able to go back to work. There's another possibility here which is also important to note. And that is, in both the book of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, they asked a lot of questions and Paul was answering those questions about the return of Christ. And so it is possible that a number of people in the church said, listen, Jesus is coming back and everything's going to change, so why should I work for something that's just going to change anyway? So let's just stop and, uh, and let's just wait for Jesus to come back. We don't need to work. Now, unless you think that's stupid, because I know that some people think that that kind of reasoning is just out to lunch and why would you ever even think that way? But the truth is, I know of two instances personally where people have literally moved into the North Country, started a commune, and lived uh, together, isolated from everything else in society, waiting for Jesus to come back. That they literally have quit their job, sold their house, sold all of their stuff, moved in together, and just were waiting for Jesus to come. And you're saying... Did that really happen? Yes. Not just here in BC, but in other places as well. You're thinking, well, why would they stop engaging with their community? Well, that's the question that I have. <laughs> and the truth is, the Holy Spirit wants to help us to engage with those around us, to continue to work within our community while we wait for Jesus to come. It's not that Jesus is not coming. We are still waiting for that to happen and we're looking forward to that. It's important that we keep that on our radar screen. 
But that doesn't mean that we stop working and let everybody else feed us. I mean, Paul specifically says, my example was that I didn't even accept food from you folks. I kept on working so that I would provide for my own needs to set you an example of what you should do. And so the practical thing is, we need to work and we need to invite the Holy Spirit into it. It is quite the harsh thing, but Paul says to the church, if somebody is idle as a lifestyle, that they have chosen to do nothing, don't even hang around those people. Because if they call themselves a believer and they're not actively doing something in their life to work, then if they don't work, they shouldn't eat. And that's what he says. It is very much an attitude, and it's important that we be active in our life to not only create uh, a sustenance for our own living, being able to look after our own needs, but it's also important when we consider how we can help others. If Jesus truly wants us to express a love for one another, well, there are times that people do go through trouble. And they become in need. Well, who's going to help them if nobody's working? And the truth is, if we want to be able to help someone else, we have to have something to give. And so, I hope you don't spend your entire paycheck on yourself. Because the expectation of God is that you would be generous to a point where when you have more than you need, you would be able to share with those that don't. Thank you for expressing your care and your help to those that are in need in Ukraine. Because the offering that we were able to receive, those that, uh, that gave, we were able to pass on immediately, and I know there's more that's going out from the church now. And as people have marked Ukraine on their envelope in order to give a generous donation, that those things have helped. And I know that we mentioned the Polish churches because we have a, a global partner that works in Poland. But truthfully, the POC uh, has been reaching out through churches in Romania, in Moldova, in Slovakia, as well as in Poland. Because millions of people have crossed the border in order to save their family and save their life. Well, where do you think all the food's coming from? The blankets that they need. I mean, these people are fleeing their homes. They are not taking their laptop with them. They're barely having clothes and food enough to live. And ultimately, when we have more than we need, we can share with those in need. Because we work. And so may God give us the strength to live and make a difference in this world, continually make a difference because of the efforts we make in our work because the Holy Spirit wants to be a part of that work. Now as I come to the end of this message today, I want to draw your attention to the backdrop that I have on the screen. I mean, this plank of wood that is covered in tools is a reminder to me of what my garage looks like. <laughs> 
Uh, it's actually, my garage is a lot messier than that. And um, I have a lot of tools. I have a lot of tools in my garage for, for uh, ordinary things. You know, I, I use a tape measure or a pair of vice grips almost, uh, you know, sometime during the week, inevitably. There are some tools that I only use every once in a while. I have a, a lot of paint, paint brushes and a jigsaw and some things that, you know, I don't need to pull them out all the time, but every once in a while I do need them. And so I pull those tools out. I have a few specialty tools that it takes a very specific job, like a, a tile saw. I don't do, you know, lay tile very often. But when I do, I have a tool that helps me cut the pieces. If my attitude was only to collect tools and not to actually use them, then what good would that do me? I could have a very nice display in my garage, which I do not. Things are tucked in drawers and all over the place. I generally know where they are. But there are the occasion when I have to go searching and looking to find that nail punch or that... that uh, uh, plane or other kind of tool that I need. But the truth, if I only have an attitude to display the tools, is, is that what they're there for? You see, every tool is meant for a useful task. Something that it's meant to accomplish. And if my attitude and intention is to make it useful, then I pick it up and I use it. Whether it's a hammer or a screwdriver or a tape measure. And so it is in our Christian life. The Holy Spirit wants you to cooperate with Him on living a useful Christian life. To pick up the tools that you have at your disposal in the circumstances that you live in and be able to live a Christian life so that other people know who Christ is. That Christ is honored in your life. And so you arm yourself with an attitude of serving and actively practicing the useful tasks, and then you will make a difference in the world. And so we pray, and we ask for direction, and we receive direction from the Holy Spirit, and we work. And those are just some of the practical things that we do in order to live a Christian life that will make a difference in this world. Will you stand with me? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. I want to pray for you this morning because we come to a place where we know these things, but we actually need to do them. And that's what I'm going to pray today. Father God, we come to you. We want to thank you for Jesus Christ our Lord because we have been saved and we have received eternal life, the promise and the guarantee through the Holy Spirit. But we know that until you take us to be with you, that there's a lot of time and there's a lot of effort that's needed to make a difference in this world. And God, I am praying that you would help us to be effective. Help us to be useful in service to the kingdom of heaven. That people would know who you are. That people would know the love that you have for one another. That you want us to demonstrate to one another. God, thank you for how much you have done for us personally. Help us to be useful in sharing that with those that are around us. 
whether it be at work or whether it be in family, whether it just be in our prayer life. May you guide us and direct us in all that we need. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing a song before we move to the next uh, area of, w- of what we're doing today.